VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Owen Slott and this is The Ruck. Often on this podcast we talk about rugby and rugby matches, the players we love, the tries they score and the skill we admire. That's generally the thing with a rugby podcast. We will be doing a bit of that this week too. But we have wandered into a period where the future of the game, the future shape of the game, the ownership of the game was never more in focus. There is actually a Six Nations Championship going on at the moment too, but you might not have known it last week. Even Owen Farrell, the absolute master of never saying anything interesting in public, shifted his position and entered the political debate. Strange things are happening. Well done, Owen, by the way. So, Stuart Barnes is with us this week to make some sense of it all. A week before Cheltenham. Very excited, Barnesy. Uh, extremely so. So, uh, if there's not much sense coming from me today, or less than usual... <laughs> Excuse me, listeners, because there's some form lines to be studied. He's even brought his hat in for the occasion because he's <laughs> halfway there. Barnes, we'll go for it. We'll go to you at the end for for your your big Cheltenham tip. And we also have a ruck debut for our Times columnist, uh, World Cup winner, and a bloke I'm just looking has five stitches below his eye from a training ground punch from Brett Deacon. Yeah, it's one probably of these. a decade ago. Can we see that? Yeah. Is it still? It'll be one of these. Yeah. One of these. So uh, this is Ben K. Ben, welcome to our Mary Throng. Great to have you on. The reason I mention your uh, those five stitches is because in your column on Saturday in the Times, you were talking about the punch-up on the training ground last week. Uh, England were training with Georgia, and there were a couple of quite uh, tasty uh, yeah. scraps. Um, that, that was an interesting... Um, story for us on the times editorially because to be honest we didn't really know how to handle it and i think you sort of you gave it some perspective so there's two quite big fights in training yeah there's a lot of kids watching and and so i'm talking to the desk saying take talking to my editors saying this has happened and they go whoa that's massive and i go well fights and on training grounds aren't that rare aren't that you know unusual yeah. they're going yeah but they invited georgia all this way and now they're having a fight with them <laughs> and there are kids watching them that's what georgia came for yeah. <laughs> exactly um so so we ran the story quite strong um uh, the editors are always right so we were right to do that but i was i thought we we slightly overplayed it but i think probably lots of people read it because it sounds interesting oh i think you know the the big crime if you want if you want to find a crime is having that sort of session in front of the kids and and, and not controlling it that that is 
pretty unacceptable that fights break out. And you know, if you're going to do a live scrummaging session against Georgia, that there's a potential that at least you might get some pretty strong language. Yeah. <laughs> but it's going to get fiery in there because the Georgians are renowned for their scrummage. Eddie Jones is effectively saying, we've brought these guys because they're the best scrum in the world and we want to be the best scrum in the world. Go and prove yourselves. And a lot of the, particularly those front row boys, will want to have done that. And, and these Georgians, they're not, they're not flying in from Georgia, all of them. A yeah. lot of them are coming in from the south of France where mm. they're pretty handy props. And... and, and mm. Yeah, the 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 problem uh, that you've got is that that sort of session is always going to get a bit tasty. You don't have a referee. There's no real consequence to a fight. That's the problem with. That's why fights can break out at training. And as a man that was at Leicester, sort of at the same time as Darren Garforth, I was used to a weekly uh, brawl of some description. <laughs> you can't get said. You can't get yellow you can't, carded you can't in your own get, training yeah, session. Exactly. Can you? So um, so the the frustrations boil over if someone gets one up on you. You know, you might sort of cheat a little bit more to try it, and there's no no three points against you and your team. So you weren't remotely game. surprised by it, apart from the fact oh, that really? there were kids, kids watching. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, you don't want it to happen, and, and and quite often the coaches will will sort of try and set boundaries. But all it takes is uh, you know a Georgian guy who maybe his his grasp of the the English instructions he's been given weren't that great, and and he goes, well, I want to make a, a name for myself, and then you've got some people in that England front row that you know are quite fiery characters. We saw that in the Wales game. Uh, we've seen uh, Ellis Genge, uh, you know, bit, throw his weight around. And, and you know that without that consequence, they're not going to take a backward step. But So, Ben, so the, that's where you got your five stitches from Brett Deacon. But you're yeah. a nice sort of guy. You wouldn't be fighting in training, would you? Or? Well, it's, it was my fault. <laughs> it, like, it, it was a, We were doing a mauling session, full-on mauling session, two, three days before the... Uh, the Premiership final, and you know the, those second the, those guys that weren't in the starting team, they are frustrated. They've got a point to prove, so they are doing everything they can to stop you scoring. And, and you know, the the only way I could see to move Brett out of the way was to was to use my head to lever him out of the way. And uh, Brett quite rightly took exception to that and just swung one through. And 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 that's just how it happens. It was frustration. He knew he wasn't going to get sent off for it. He. He, he rang me after. I mean, we, whenever those fights break out, you always make up sort of you know, straight away yeah. after after the session's finished. You know, there might be a bit of sort of staring at each other and, and you know, the, the threatening looks. But as soon as the session finishes, it, you understand that it, it, it's part of the process when you these guys are trying to help you be as best as you can on, on a Saturday and vice versa. And, um, you know, Brett rang me actually really upset because of the magnitude of the game at the weekend and I, and I said to him look mate I, I would have done the same to you absolutely did you not play in the game you no can, I played in the game you did play in, right. in the game yeah but you, you I don't like the idea of times columnists fighting you wouldn't have fought would you on, on the training pitch yeah, yeah. I, what ben, ben says 10 years earlier you know that Leicester team were magnificent decade before Bath would win in like Leicester won then and the protocol in training was exactly the same. And in Jack Rowell, we had a coach who would instigate an edge. You know, I can remember when Andy Robinson joined the club and he was trying to get Roger Spurrell's place at open side. So the two of them were going down on the ball. And the things that happened in training were worse than anything that happened against teams were playing at the weekend. And as Ben says, if it's secluded, there is no issue 
like Ben said, the fact that it was open, that was the only thing that, that surprised me at all. But what I was really asking, would you got involved personally? Because, you know, you're a poet and a, and a punter. And, and, you're, saying, and you're saying Times Collar is fighting. I'd just like to point out, I, I took a punch. I don't think I was involved in the actual brawl. You're a lover, not a fighter, Barnsley. That's really what I'm trying to say. Well, what I would say is, if you had a, a flanker trying to make his point and he smacks you late a couple of times... When a couple of the forwards are pinned down on the floor, I might come in with a slight dig. I mean, I wasn't a brave fighter, but I, you know, I'd let him know, and that's how the game is. Okay. I think the unusual good. element of it is a lot of that has gone now for obvious reasons. You mm. know, we talk about player welfare, so yeah. actually, some of the um, the melee that that was created in in mauling drills and that sort of thing, tackling drills, full on thing, is actually a little bit toned down now during the week, mm. and it's much more structured the training. So the the opportunity to um, to to have those flare ups is less, and I think the whistle. The, the players are much more responsive to the whistle now because they're used to fast-moving uh, training sessions that are constantly going from one area to another. So when the whistle goes, they listen to the coach and find out where they've got to yeah. be next. So I think that's why it's a slightly more unusual now because we don't see it as much as as, as they used yeah, to be. Yeah. Um, but having said that, when you put two front rows against each other, you know the, it's the old Richard Cockrell saying, you know, up, down, um, but never back. We woke up this morning to to what seemed to me a, a fairly major story, uh, or, uh, yet also a story that probably lots of people have been waiting for. Um, yeah. So uh, fair play to the Daily Mail. They have um, broken a very uh, what appears to be a very well-researched story about uh, Saracens, and uh, they, they wrote it as a question, have they um, busted the salary cap? Salary cap is £7 million. That's the, That means that's the totally you're allowed to spend on your squad barring uh, two other players who can sit outside it what the what the Daily Mail have reported which is what you hear but they had all the details of it was that um, uh, Nigel Ray the owner uh, was going into private business partnerships with some of the leading players uh, they noted there was a company called Faz Investments Limited which is uh, Nigel Ray's uh, a, a company that for, formed with Owen Farrell there's um, Wig uh, Wig Nine Limited, which is the company with uh, Richard Wigglesworth, and there's uh, another with the Vunapola brothers called Vunprop. Um, so I think it's fair to say that there's lots of club people around the country who aren't Saracens fans who are punching the air, going at last. Uh, Saracens so far have said little apart from that everything that was in the paper today they had declared to the premiership as part of their salary declarations anyway so that's their cute way of saying no- nothing to look at here ben you have watched this what what was your what no surprise when you read that or um, your, your feelings when you saw not, not a huge amount of surprise i think I think you know some saracens fans have pointed out that you'd think uh, a businessman of nigel ray's acumen w- would be a little bit more uh, diligent in if there was anything underhand uh, in coming up with some different names uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for his property companies. Fast investment limited. limited. You know, it's not particularly subterfuge, is it? But but having said that, you know, th- there is this sort of little grey area, and we haven't, we don't know. The interesting thing I think to come out of this will be the next level of who have invested in this property. If it's a 50-50 venture where Owen Farrell 
has invested the same amount of money as Nigel Ray. Yes, there's a benefit to Owen Farrell because um, obviously there's an economy of scale in that, and they can they can get bigger properties, or they can they can put the property over a, uh, the, the the investment over a number of properties, and and you know maybe reduce that risk a little bit. Uh, but it's a joint venture, and they haven't actually financially gained necessarily from. Uh, their their money outside or their money yeah, from they're sharing the, the risk. Yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's a private business, um, but we don't know that yet. So it it will be very interesting to see how that played out. I think there is a feeling uh, around uh, you know not necessarily the Premiership clubs, but certainly some of the fans that they look at uh, Saracen's squad and and wonder how they they can get that many uh, quality players. And I feel really sorry for Saracens with the amount of players that they've had. In the England setup, I know it's a it's a benefit to them commercially, and it's a benefit. But those England players are not playing a lot of Premiership rugby for mm. their team. So if you've got eight players away with England, it, it then becomes very difficult to uh, have the have a squad that's capable of delivering the success that they're used to, um, because you need to you need to fill for those guys for for large swathes of the season. So, yeah, they're. they're- well, it's not their B team, but their team stripped of their England players um, had a really convincing win over Saints at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Barnes, I mean, they, that that's what the, one of the incredible things about Saris is is you strip all this away. I mean, some other teams stumble a bit when they lose their England players, no. but Sar- Saracens, you know, they carry on the march. What there's going to be, there's going to be a lot of envy because of Saracens' success in the last number of years. And we mustn't confuse whatever uh, may or may not have happened um, uh, on the corporate side with what they do on the pitch. They're a magnificently managed club all round. Mark McCall is a visionary with a long-term view. Uh, Year after year, we see Saracens lose a couple of games around the same time because year after year, they know exactly when those games can be lost and they can manage this squad superbly well. So... You know, I remain a big fan of Saracens. I would imagine there will be a lot of uh, fans of other clubs who will be critical. But I I looked at this story and I thought it's a substantial story, um, but it's not a shocking story. When I think about uh, wage caps in any sport, uh, you you just sense it's like going to Silicon Valley uh, and going to talk to Mark Zuckerberg and finding out that, yes, they are extracting raw human data, but no, honestly, we're not trying to use it uh, for our advantage financially with advertisements. We know that's what the world is. We know that these people will try and cover their backs. And uh, I have long assumed that in both rugby and football, if there is a club who have the financial clout and and the cuteness to go over the wage cap they will do it to get a competitive edge. Um, but you're suggesting that's that therefore okay? No, I'm not. I'm not suggesting it's okay. I'm. I'm just suggesting it is. Unfortunately, it's a, a fact of life. In the same way that I don't think it's okay that on a, a training field, you go and smack your mate. But it's a fact of life, <laughs> or it was a fact of life. I, I don't think it's okay. But what I am suggesting is that it's easier uh, for, for people who are ahead of the regulators to come up with ways to bend the rules than it is for the regulators to keep up with them. And the other thing, uh, rugby, as with Silicon Valley, what the, the regulators are thinking, where are we going to be if we catch everyone all the time? It's going to make life very difficult for us because these are fast-moving, clever people and they will not be held back. 
Well, there was a there was a sort of a widespread sort of scoop of um of salary cap busters a few years ago, and and, and there it was sort of a, agreed, wasn't it? Oh, let's sort of draw a line under here and uh, uh, and take a step back, guys. And then four years ago, Saracens and Bath were both found guilty of breaching cap. Um, Bath say it was merely a, a dispute over image rights, and they went marginally over it. Um, uh, no reason to believe that's not correct, but I don't know. Um, uh, but Bath insists that they've taken a step backwards. I mean, if you if you do look at the the Saracens squad, Ben, I mean, you, you know roughly the value of a player. If you if you if you tot up there, I've, it, I've done this high. on the back of a, of a it, fag it, packet. It is high. It does take you to about it, nine million. I reckon. It does. I don't know if it's that high, but it, but it, but it is high in their market. If you put them on the open market, absolutely. Sure. You know, okay, that's the difference, uh, isn't it? But but equally, you know, some of that value would be, and it you know happened with with, with Leicester sort of five ten years ago when you know the, the likes of Bath thought well we'll we'll take Lewis Moody because what he can sort of bring some of what Leicester are doing right at the moment and, and put that into our environment so there would be an element with Saracens players that people would want to take Saracens players and I there I certainly think within the Saracens squad there are players that if you put them into another environment wouldn't necessarily thrive as much as they are yeah. at the moment you know they're undoubtedly going back to Shirt's point what they're doing in terms of their rugby it is absolutely, um, you know, creating this this uh, performance when when their stars are away that other people can just slot in and do the do the same thing. So uh, th- there is uh, th- th- there is of course going to be suspicion because of the quality of the players. The other thing to bear in mind whenever we have these conversations is the cycle of contracts. So you know sometimes people can uh, elevate their worth before their next contract renewal so you know example would be someone like Courtney Laws when he first broke into the Northampton team being on an academy contract of of £30,000 or whatever it was at the time suddenly when he becomes an England superstar he's still got a year or so left on his contract but his next one's going to be astronomical so you start having to plan ahead there will be players at Saracens now undoubtedly that are underpaid because of the quality of player they've become but they haven't got to their next uh, contract cycle. Yeah. So they might have to do a bit of moving. You look at Joel uh, Kapoku coming, coming through, uh, second row, obviously there's going to be a lot of teams that want him. Are they going to have to shift one of the other second rows on to make room for him? Are they going to let him go? So they're the sort of um, the intricacies of, of that whole salary cap framework and jigsaw that, that Saracens will be having to plan yeah, for. I, so I, I, I get that point. I agree. So... You, Especially if you're so good at, at um, developing your own players as Saracens are, so you, so when they're coming through, it was, uh, at some point Owen Farrell was earning the equivalent of thirty thousand, mm, yeah. uh, and and then they grow, and so Saracens have had this this their golden generation: the Farrells, the Jamie Georges, uh, two Vinopolas, George Cruz, etc., etc., all come through at the same time, and so they've gone, they've all gone from academy type contracts to to, to massive. Uh, uh, full, you know, big England contracts. So a year and a half ago, before the start of the um, 27-18 season, Mark McCall was saying, this, you know, we've got this really hard situation because we've got to address all these players who were on small contracts, but they're now worth close to half a million or whatever. Um, but we develop them all, but we're not sure that we can keep them all. So one of the reasons that I think is interesting is not only they kept every single down one of them, but then they can sign Elliot Daly as well out of the blue, which which yeah. is the which is the one signing that has really got um, up the up the yeah, noses well, of everyone well, else. Daly, Daly would would you would you would call him 
probably one of the marquee signings out of every English player. The the star quality that he brings, the marketing appeal is there, and that does look that does look a strange one. That's not going to be. I assume that's not going to be south of half a million, is it? No, it's not. <clears throat> and from what I gather, when Wass were fighting to keep him, uh, they Wass offered him a contract that didn't match financially, but wasn't I don't know was wasn't a long way off. But they said to him, "If you stay here, then we will build your future around playing 15, so you can become master of that position mm. the way you're playing for England. So it helps your England career. But if he goes to Saracens." He's competing with Alex Good, Liam, Liam Williams. Williams yeah. You know, arguably two of the best best fifteens in the in the Premiership, and so 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 he's had totally different things to think about there. So, well, uh, well the, the other thing to, to say, and you know, we're talking about Saracens now, um, so this is going to sound like it's directed at Saracens, and it's not. In fact, I, I think the if you wanted to bend the salary cap uh, or break the salary cap, it would be a lot easier to do it. Uh, not necessarily for England players. You know, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on England players. It's a lot easier to trace payments for England players. I think the the area that the salary cap manager might find more difficult to to keep abreast of would be those players that have come from outside and, and you know the South Africans and people that that you know that offshore money is much more difficult to, to yeah, trace. Yeah, South um, Africans are hard, yeah. yeah. So so you know, and there's a lot of South Africans, at a lot of clubs throughout mm. the Premiership. So this isn't a dig at, at, at Saracens but it, it shows how difficult it is to to um, you know to keep a hold on I mean this is a conversation that our French colleagues and their various pods are having over there and have been having for years but they don't take their salary cut remotely seriously do they well, no they don't I think they they well, actually, have, actually have, um, uh, Murad Boujalal, the Toulon owner, said a long time ago, I absolutely stay within the salary cap, but if Johnny Wilkinson comes to my club, of course I'm going to set up a, a merchandising business yeah. with him. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're that, actually that, that allowed his, to, aren't they? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a it's very different uh, set of circumstances. But, but again, it, it goes back to the point. Everyone in France assumes that there's a, a rule in place, but everyone assumes it's going to be, should we say, bent and refracted. Uh, and I assume... <laughs> yeah. That is the same in England, but we like to make out that we're a sort of upright bunch of people. Uh, we would never do that. We're not different. I, I think French there's a key misunderstanding from a lot of the rugby public here as well, because looking online, a lot of people are going, "Why don't the RFU act?" This has got nothing to do mm. with the RFU. It's Premiership yeah. Rugby now. Premiership Rugby don't own the clubs. The clubs own Premiership Rugby. That's a significant difference. So it's a peer pressure thing. So if all the other clubs think Saracens are breaking the salary cap and, and, and want it investigated hard enough, they will go for them and, and they will they will make they will try and make sure that, that is that is done. But the, the the penalties for breaking the salary cap, it's actually it's not really a penalty, it's it's more of a luxury tax. You just have to pay a pound over for every pound, a pound extra for every pound you're over the salary Did cap it, after the little sort of it, it gets worse window. though, doesn't it? The- so yeah, what? I, my understanding is a five percent, a five percent leeway, so you can go five percent over, which could be that—that's your luxury tax or, or then, your or your slightly faulty accounting, and then after that it goes up to, but, to uh, two. At what point? At what? Okay, so right, let's finish this conversation with if Saracens are found hypothetically now, if Saracens are found to have willingly broken the rules to keep to keep players that they they couldn't keep within the cap otherwise. What should be their punishment? Because well, Barnsley, you seem to be sympathetic to it. Well, I just say, Owen, it's not that I'm sympathetic. It's a big if. 
it's a big if because the people, as Ben has just said, it's not the RFU. They themselves are judging themselves. This is a business of which Saracens are a part. So it's a business that is going to be critical of its own brand, which will damage that brand. Well, that's one reason why there, was the, there were no swinging penalties last time. No, and of course, and that's why I'm just being realistic about this. There is no way that a company is going to come up with something that really does extreme damage to itself. And Saracens will not, if, if, if they have found ways around it, they will not be the only club that have and are in the process of finding ways right, and, around it. And every it. club has to vote for any changes in legislation or, or anything. So, you know, legally, I don't know where... I think it would be uncharted territory if they said, right, we're going to, uh, you know, dock you this many points. And Strip Saracens of every didn't title agree, you've had in the last decade. And, and Saracens didn't agree. It would then go to court. And who's to say that Premiership Rugby would win? Saracens might win. So that that is that makes it a huge minefield. I know it doesn't sound palatable to any of the rugby public, but as Stuart said, Saracens are part of the, it's it's this self governance self-re- thing. Self regulation yeah. does not work in rugby. It does not work in business unless you want those businesses to expand as much as they like, with no form of regulation. Well, my view from talking to various <coughs> other own competing owners is that if they could, if they had proper evidence in front of them, they would would not wait around a minute before uh, taking the penalties, mm. points. They would they're pretty fed up out there. We I think okay. Ben Ben's nodding. Uh, <coughs> all right, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, so so though that was that was today's news. Last week we were talking about uh, the proposed World League, which has been bubbling away since September, really. Uh, the World League is World Rugby's... Actually, it's called the, I think it's been called the Nations League, but it's already had five different names or something mm. already. Uh, this is World Rugby's attempt to knit all the leading nations into one annual competition, a league, um, uh, 12 teams. Um, uh, they think that if they did that, then they'd be able to amalgamate TV rights... Uh, commercial rights uh, help the commercial value of ev- of everyone um, uh, help the southern hemisphere make more money and um, uh, make the players play more games more competitive games uh, knacker the lot out of them and that's one reason why it's very controversial the other last week um, one of the proposals was no um, uh, promotion relegation so ring fencing the top uh, teams for I think it was 12 years or something it was said uh, my own personal view is that this is all talk and that it's never going to get remotely near um, fruition. Um, what do we think? Uh, I think, you know, I'm an English uh, man. I, I want England to do well. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I want the Premiership to, to thrive as well. Uh, the danger with having that philosophy, so I, I, my initial reaction is I don't like it. I like the World Cup to, to be every four years, and, and I think it devalues that slightly. The the worry is why has this come about? And what you don't want to be is, um, you know, top of your tree with all the money and no one left to play against because Australia have gone pop or, mm. you know, another, t- you know, another team yeah. can't there, there is a to, sort of to... social democracy part to this question, isn't there? Yeah. So um, so it's all of well and good as, a, as an English person with, with, you know, the RFU sort of having the ability, if even if they don't always do, deliver, but having the ability to, to make huge commercial sums every, every year and, and, and profits every year. 
it's very different to Australia, who've been so important to the development of the game, who are really struggling at the moment. And and um, I think that's why it's come about. There is pressure to say, look, we can't keep going like this. Um, investigative, I can't even say it, investigative. Yeah, there we go. You uh, don't journalism. do enough of this investigative no, stuff, No, no, do you? no, no. Journalism, I can't even say it. Um, the problem with it is uh, I don't, I don't know how far along they are with these discussions. Why have they wanted to keep it under wraps? Is it because uh, there are so many different stakeholders all sitting around the table that no one can agree on anything and they wanted to keep it under wraps until they could be able to say, well, these are the options or this is the option we're going for. The story's broken and now sort of people are saying, well, what about this? What about that? And it doesn't take into consideration whether they've already thought of these problems or not. Um, so, you know, it would be a disaster to not have the Pacific Nations involved in, in this League of Nations. You know, that, Which was one proposal that, that was yeah, absolutely. suggested last week. I 100% get why one of the other proposals of having the USA and Japan, I get why they're doing that in terms of trying to grow the game commercially. And, and a lot of the reporting of it was it was all about greed. Hmm. This isn't money-making for the people. This isn't sort of, you know... Be very careful legally what we say, but it's not sort of we're not accusing anyone of taking bungs and, and thinking, well, I can get rich off the, off the back of this scheme. This is world rugby trying to say, how can we grow the game, make the commercial revenue higher so that it can it can enable us to do this. Um, but to take out three of the most exciting nations in rugby that have provided so much would be inherently wrong. Barnsley, what do you think? That's, so that's, as Ben said, you, you, you might be the staunchest of England fans or, or a Six Nations fan, but but the global rugby economy helps Europe at the moment, favours Europe. Do, do, you, do you feel that there is an obligation uh, to, to help ourselves um, ahead of the Southern Hemisphere or do you, do you think the game should be moving along together? Since the game went professional, there's been a similar intention between club and country, and not just English and French clubs in England and France, between the club game and the international game. And this is 24, 24 25 years uh, in the brewing. And I, I, it may have been a column of yours uh, before the Autumn Internationals. I recall reading Bruce Craig, uh, and, uh, and Bruce chose his word carefully. He said, these Autumn Internationals... They're nothing more than friendlies. When he said that, he pressed a button to World Rugby and challenged them. Because if they are friendlies, the message is that the players that we are employing in England, in France, at some stage, are going to be playing through this period for us and not for you. And international rugby downsizes to the Six Nations, the Rugby Championship and a World Cup. Now, at that moment, I think World Rugby would have a right to say, and Ben's talked about, you know, where is rugby going? For 24 years, we have muddled. We compromise, and you could argue that is one of the reasons why we've got uh, Owen Farrell and Johnny Sexton talking about the injury situation. But if this comes through, then I honestly believe that you will be in the realm of central contracts and they will be playing for Leinster and Saracens once or twice just to get themselves geared up. So, in fact, that whole thing about player welfare is a short-term issue that becomes a long-term one that is sorted. I, I honestly believe that, right or wrong, after 24 years, they're saying the game is muddled in the drive of it. And, and you look at what drives professional rugby 
We love club rugby, but club rugby in England is something of an echo chamber. The fans <laughs> go online and they talk to each other and they make more noise, but it's the same people and that sound is rebounding. Ben knows, I know, the big money in international rugby, in rugby union, is the international game. There is no doubt about that. And, and, and the other thing that we haven't talked about much is CVC, a venture capital firm, getting involved in the English game. That is a threat, not just to the English game, it's a threat to the world game because they're going to want a fast development that will be uh, destructive to some extent in the old ways of rugby. Well, so, I, think this, I think this world rugby thing came off the back of the CVC approach. Uh, they, I think world rugby saw CVC come in, come in absolutely crapped themselves and thought we've got to move in and, and, and take control ourselves. Owen, you, you lose its lack of control of players. It goes then through to Craig saying internationals are friendlies. It goes through to CVC and the money that comes down. And you say, so how does the game develop? Is it the club model in England or France or is it the global model? Now, I don't see how rugby at the moment, unfortunately, it cannot develop without, in particular, New Zealand maintaining their power and New Zealand will suffer with Australia and South Africa being diminished as nations. The international game is undoubtedly right now the driver. It's not in football, but football is not rugby. The clubs will never be anywhere near as big. If you look at a sport where there are parallels, it's cricket. And if you look for a parallel, it's the county game and the club game. Now, I know that there's more money and there's more power in rugby than county cricket, but the driver of cricket is the, interna is the international game. And if rugby is going to have one, one structured stream to make itself a more powerful game, if he wants to use that uh, sort of capitalist word, if he wants to grow, growth comes via the international game and not the club game. Ben, for for me, the the, the debate just um, it, it seems to go slightly around in circles. And, and Barnes, you sort of said it yourself. Uh, uh, we've had twenty five years of never really nailing down how the whole thing yeah. works, and I think this is just another another iteration of rugby trying to sort itself out. It's very easy to sit in judgment and say, "Well, world rugby are, are rubbish administrators," or or PRL, the English clubs are are ambitious mm. and trying to rule the world, etc. It's, it's easy to cast aspersions, but the fact is, if there is a if this is a jigsaw puzzle, no one knows how to fit it together. The, the problem with rugby is there's too many stakeholders, and it's a problem that is on every level you know the for what's right for the clubs isn't necessarily right for the players what's right for uh, the clubs isn't necessarily right for the international teams and yeah. vice versa so that is the big problem but you, you say about and, and Stuart said about being muddled for 25 years he, he's right in some respects but let's look at where rugby was 25 years ago in terms of you know filling stadiums and yeah, uh, you true. know everything has grown and part of it has been because people have been pushing themselves to the limit in t testing circumstances, taking what might be considered a bit of a risk, but actually it's lifted a lot of the game up co commercially. So uh, I, I think the one positive at the moment is everyone was talking about the, the, the financial state of the world and the economy. And what is uh, a positive for rugby is the amount of interest there mm. is commercially from people that aren't necessarily rugby fans you know CVC is a, is a business that is used to uh, making real high-end investments and they've decided that rugby 
has potential to 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 grow beyond where it is now as you know we we hear that a broadcaster has already shown a very keen interest in this world league you know we were all being told that the broadcast deals had all been done and and now they were going to start to to go backwards well hmm. yeah that is a positive sign that people despite the game being muddled at the moment think that there is growth uh, still still to be had in Rio. 
They remain a very powerful team, and I'm not going to say, oh, England are weak. It's a good Welsh team. None of that. But England have got to show to us that they can go to Japan and be able to think their way out of a problem. His, his lot in 2003, they were capable of duking it with the French in the semi-final and smashing them up front. And, and people said to me afterwards, I said, well, in the end, England, all that fancy rugby they did under Woodward for a couple of years before didn't need it, did they? They got to the final, they scrummaged the Aussies. But the point was, I'm sure ben, I'd like to know what Ben thinks. If Australia had come up with the greatest scrum of their life, England would have been in a position then to say, right, this isn't working. We can switch our strategy. This team at the moment, I'm not certain if there is a strategy switch. I'm not certain if the key decision makers would be able to say to the management, hey, get off the training pitch. We've done enough as, as the legend of 2003. Leave it to us. We know where we are. What do you think, Ben? Do you think, do you think they, I mean, they, they were put, put, <coughs> they were put, the, they had a stress test against Wales and, and they failed. Does that mean they can go away and go, right, we know they, they could do it better next time? They, it, they didn't, uh, they didn't fail astronomically let's let's remember no. you know that last minute try so but I, I totally agree I think England had been lulled into a bit of a false sense of security because of their performance against Ireland that actually they'd found a blueprint mm. for the way to win international rugby games and, and the Six Nations is actually brilliant for English and uh, Welsh and Irish teams and, and Scottish teams because going into a World Cup it's the closest you'll get to the knockout stages yeah. of rugby if you play in the championship you get to play uh, Australia twice and so the 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 pressure's nowhere near as much because you can still win the championship losing a game everyone thinks you you're brilliant so but you get one shot at these teams and and England failed the test but it's probably a good time for it to happen because I agree with Stuart they will now need to go and look at, at how do they make those decisions in game who who are the who's going to make the call how because I mean the, the, all the water bottle carriers are, are mic'd up. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. as though, oh, yeah, we sent them out with a game plan and we couldn't get a message on until the end of the game. Yeah. Of course they could. I think what happened was actually it, England punched themselves out a little bit. They were so aggressive in their defence that they got to 60 minutes and Wales had lived with that. And, 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 and actually Wales in that last 20 minutes in particular sort of grew and became the dominant force and, and, and England had almost you know rope, Wales had done the rope-a-dope trick to England and, and they'd mm. punched themselves out and I don't think they quite had the energy levels to, to, to live at the end so there's a little bit of game management in that as well you can't just go out and, and stand toe-to-toe and, and slug all game and expect to, to be you have to be playing in the right areas of the field the kicking game's important I don't think the kicking game was anywhere near as well executed as it was in the Wales uh, sorry uh, in the Ireland game as it was in, in, in the Wales because there was more um, pressure on the kickers wasn't yeah, there absolutely and, and the kick chase wasn't quite good the kicks weren't quite as good uh, and so you know if, if your game plan is 5% off it's going to have a detrimental effect on other areas of the field Wales taught England a lesson or exposed England do, do you see do we see Wales um, continuing where they got to Murrayfield uh, con- continuing on, on route to, to a glorious uh, uh, story here? You'd be a brave man to bet against them, but what I would say is um, there was a feel for that Cardiff game, you know, I, I almost lived within sight of the 
peaks of the Seven Bridge, and, and you could sense it. Welsh was saying, oh, England have been talking us up. They're taking the mick out of us with our winning run. There's an edge. I lived in Wales for a long time. There's an edge when England comes, like there's not for any other game other than the All Blacks, because they haven't beaten them. And that edge undoubtedly did fuel Wales a percentage or two. There's no doubt about that. And having beaten England, they now go to Scotland and, and and they know the expectations are they win. Now, Gatlin's shrewd, and I think Gatlin's having a, a glorious finale to his career because I think he's he's asking Wales to play in different ways. He's testing different players. He's 60% of the way to a Grand Slam, but the development for the World Cup is even further ahead. So I think Wales are going really well, but I, I don't think Wales will just say, right, We've got to close this off now. It's Grand Slam. They will still look at little tweaks in the way they play. And when you change and when you experiment, when you push to the boundaries, sometimes the odd little error comes. It happened to that England team before they won a Grand Slam in 2003. A couple of silly things cost them. And I think Wales are playing a way that I see them playing differently to how they played against England. And just giving Scotland a chance, because you've got to remember, Scotland have been bitterly disappointing, but they are a team who have got a very good home record and, yeah. and on their day are capable of producing a big win. Where, where are you on that, Ben? You, you nodded to the suggestion that yeah. Wales would, would, would prevail. I, I think Wales will prevail. Um, there is always a danger when Finn Russell's throwing the, the passes that if they stick, mm. they are passes that can... Uh, you know. Um, take any defence apart if they don't stick then it causes it can cause Scotland a few problems so you never quite know when you're playing against Scotland but I think particularly having the week off after the England game I think will help the the Welsh team because that was a really physical encounter but the Six Nations is such a momentum tournament and, and Wales are the team with the momentum at the moment I absolutely think they'll um, go up to Scotland and, and do the job but then can they manage with all the pressure of a, of a final game against an island team yeah. who will be dangerous? I just yeah. want. Well, I think, think that I think that final game is oh, going to cracking. be absolutely wonderful, yeah. isn't it? Let's just say the other problem. I'm I wondering think, if my sports heads will let me cover that rather than England Scotland. No chance. Cro- it's been crossing my mind, but maybe I'll go to that game for the Times. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, and one other thing: we talked about Finn Russell and the threat of his passing game, and he's having a very good season in France. He he, he played an hour. He's very good for Racing. But I'd say this about Scotland. There's this strange... It's not illogical because Greg Laidlaw is their captain. He's a powerful personality, but he plays rugby in second gear. Scotland have a lightweight pack that do not carry. They have a back three that are deadly. They've got an inside centre and a fly half who are small but clever. And then they've got a scrum half who slows the pace of the game down. Now, if he slows it down... And then they try and get ball to Finn Russell. Mm-hmm. He's going to get mobbed by that Welsh pressure, isn't he? Edwards' defence. I always thought they were better him. with Ali Price at nine. I, 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 I always I, thought that, and, and I know that as you say, um, Laidlaw is a, a personality leader and a, and a goal kicker. But it, it, it has compromised what Gregor Townsend is trying to do because Scotland are at the moment not one thing nor the other. Okay, let's, let's just go through them and. and, and um, Give some predictions. We, we, I think we know who we think is going to win, um, but let, let's let's have a distance. So, uh, England, Italy. Uh, I suppose we. I don't know. That's that's anything between one hundred, isn't it? But I'll I'll go England by twenty. Uh, I, I I agree with you. I think it might even be more than that. Barnsley. 
Depends on the team he picks, obviously. No, no. I think it's I think it's his most important selection actually because yeah. he's now tempted to go and get a bit of confidence back in in the players that played. But equally, looking ahead to the World Cup, he'll be he's desperate to need, play a Dan Robson need. or if he yeah. doesn't pick Robson, yeah. then it's it's just preposterous. Yeah. But, but let's not do but, that. You know, again, I whinge about Robson every week. You look at Wales and and Gatland has has played a lot of players in this Six Nations. And in Wales, they said, what's he doing? Resting 10 for Italy. Gatlin knew what he was doing, enough to win the game, but to find out whether X or Y were good enough for the squad for Japan. It's a really big call. Barnes, you haven't given us your prediction ring in Italy yet. I, 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 when you just assume one team is going to win, I find it hard. I'll say one thing. I think Italy have been unlucky. I think they, play, they played well against Ireland. Um, and... I think they'll probably end up losing by 20, but play pretty oh, well we for now. I'll go with you. Happy days. Uh, Scotland, Wales. Well, ben? Wales by nine. Seven Wales. All right. Well, so I'm not going to say Wales by eight, because that would just be <laughs> sitting on the fence. Uh, I think I think it would be uh, closer than that. So I, I think Wales by less than a, less than a score. We and can't all agree on all three. I said Wales by. We? Le- well, I think we can. Oh, we're not allowed to. No, actually. we're not allowed to. No, our editor gets very cross no. if we all agree on our no. predictions. Uh, Ireland, France. Ireland by fourteen. I think France have had their their game of coming back, and uh, I don't think that they are confident enough to deal with a, an Ireland team. That- Come on, France have had three different teams, three different game plans so far. If they if they change a fourth time, they might actually hit it. Uh, but okay, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think Ireland will win with something to spare. That well, that's incumbent that's on me, very... isn't it, to, to go for the one person with something different? I think France with uh, Antoine Dupont are a completely different team to France with Morgan Parrott or uh, Baptiste Serran. I thought the last twenty against England. I know the game was over, but they showed something because he sparked them. I thought there were moments against Scotland, only moments, but there were moments. Uh, and I think with a Toulouse core behind and a big old hefty pack and an Ireland team who haven't proved that you know, while Conor Murray is not functioning, it means you can get put the pressure on Johnny Sexton. If you can do that, you've got a chance. So I'm going to go for a shock win, France by one. Barnsley, magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. <laughs> Uh, and we, we finish uh, in traditional form with our uh, God or Goddess of the Week. Um, ben? I found this quite difficult because I think there's been a couple. Um, but I am going to go for Jack Willis making oh, his return. Oh, very nice. Making his return for Wasps. Um off the bench, uh, us all talking up Thomas Young before the game, coming back to play for Wasps. So this is this top. is Jack Willis coming back nine months after an ACL yeah. injury. And uh, Young was injured in the first couple of minutes of the game, so Willis played the, the basically the whole game, and he was exceptional over the ball. He's quite tall, big six eight if you don't know him, uh, mainly a six really, but over the ball he has unbelievable flexibility. He, he effectively does the splits which means that he is impossible to move he caused Leicester all sorts of problems and I think had he not got injured Mark Wilson would be battling him as well as Chris Robshaw for that number six shirt in, in Japan and I firmly believe that three four years time when we look when we're talking about the next World Cup it, it will He's be pretty clear that, that Willis and Curry will make a, a fairly strong combination too late this time round for him though I just, not, not Underhill no, I'm I'm a Curry fan. I, mm. I, I like Underhill, and if 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 Curry was injured, I'd have absolutely no problems in Underhill playing. But I I uh, I really like 
uh, Tom Curry. And I think those two together could, could well uh, become a, a fairly decent back row unit. This is, this is familiar territory, isn't it? England are going to be really good in the next World Cup. Yeah, like, no, well, it looks really good he, for the he future. He could get that. He, he could get that. You could easily take him. But I just think not having had any England involvements, it's, apart from yeah. you know, the, the, the selection, um, I think it's going to be too difficult for him. We've had 10 years without having a seven who could lace his boots. Now we've got blokes all over the place. Yeah. Barnsley, who's your God or Goddess of the Week? Pat Lamb. It's Pat Lamb because I am fed up of 20 years of uh, rugby coaches saying there's no, we shouldn't have relegation because when there's a relegation fight, nobody can play any rugby because the pressure's too great. The reason you get in the relegation zone is because you're playing no rugby, not the other way. Pat Lamb has proved that. He's got a Bristol team and, and no matter how much money or what, how big the squad is, the leap from championship to premiership is huge. And his team are playing their way to safety with width, with ambition, with a real sense of style. And Pat Lamb, for that reason, for puncturing the bubble about negative rugby, is my God of the Week. Like it, like it. My God of the Week, and I'm talk about, uh, going to talk about my piece in the paper today, my God of the Week is not, not far different to yours, not Pat Lamb, but Pat Lambie. Mm. Uh, I, I did an interview with him last week uh, in which he talked about his... In forced retirement at the age of 28 uh, due to concussions. And it was a pretty tricky... Um, uh, well, tr- it, it was a hard interview to listen to, but he was brutally honest. And, and in there he talked about um, when he's in what he called combat mode and battle mode and how that prevents him from making the, the sensible decision, which was to come off when he knew he was concussed. And he was just so desperate to be a team man, do the thing, be the guy that he, he played on through concussions and uh, he acknowledges that he was, in his words, crazy and stupid, um, uh, but um, w- was too adrenaline uh, adrenalised for the occasion to be able to make a decision. So he's he has retired from the game and that is a shame and it's one of those things the game has to uh, look closely at. Um, so he is my God of the Week. You can read about him in The Times today. Um, uh Ben, great to have you here, not just because of that. Uh, our God of the Week will be your man, Jack Willis. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned him because I thought he was outstanding as well. Uh, ben, thank you for coming. Barnsley, great as ever. Oh, your tip. One last thing, the last word of the day, your tip for Chelsea. Lorena to beat Bouverdere and Apples Jade and win the champion hurdle next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, get your money on Barnsley's tip. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week after the next round of the Six Nations. Uh, this is The Ruck. Uh, we'll be back then. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.